Abraham's son Isaac and then the sign of circumcision and um, just a lot of really rich and deep, meaningful substance in those passages. And you guys know how much I love to dig into God's word and, and really try to break it down and really try to, to teach it to you because I just don't, I still believe with all my heart there's nothing more formidable and more transform, transformational in our life than to, than to content, continually and consistently just be washed over with the word of God and to be reminded of the truth of God. and to, Because the more that we know God as he's revealed to us in his word, the more we get to know him, guess what will happen? The more we will become, start to love him. And that's what God wants. He doesn't want us to read the Bible for academic purposes. Even though you can, he doesn't want us to read the Bible for informational purposes. Even though you can, he wants us to read the Bible for relational purposes because this is his word to us. And that's how we hear from him. And that, will, that is what will change our lives. It, it truly will. And today I thought it would be very fitting just to kind of take a pause uh, today from Genesis and to jump into a time of gratitude coming off of this Thanksgiving season. And I'm just going to be honest with you. I just think sometimes it is very beneficial and profitable for us to stop and to simply give what? Just give thanks. There is something profoundly powerful about an attitude of gratitude. Um, most of us in the room today are probably one of the two. You're either a glass half empty or a glass what? Half full. Do, do you know who you are? Does everybody know who they are? You probably should know. If you're not a glass half full person, if that doesn't immediately come to your mind, then you're probably the glass half empty, right? I mean, obviously, there is looking at life through different lenses. And it's, it's very interesting because... I meet all kinds of different people, and every family is a big mixture of so many different personalities and people, but you've got your eternal optimist. That's me. I'm, I'm the eternal optimist. I see everybody. I give everybody the benefit of the doubt. I want to see the good in everything and in everybody, no matter how bad things get. I typically have some sense of hope or optimism or positivity about any given situation. I'm not always, but, but just me you know, personally, and, and, and my character is more of a positive type person or an optimist. Then there are your pessimists that no matter how things are, they're always or typically they're going to see things through a negative light and, and point out the bad or to be have that critical eye or whatever it may be. And these are all people, I'm sure you have people in your life. And again, you may struggle with that yourself. You may be more of a pessimistic person. And it's kind of funny because um, we as optimists, we get very frustrated with people who are more pessimistic because we just smile and be like, why can't you just see the what? The bright, the good things. You can't see the bright side. Like it's going to be okay. And, that, and that's kind of, we can become frustrated with people in our life who, who are only focused on the problem or on the negative or on the circumstance or whatever it may be. But however, I do know that some of the pessimists out there, some of you half glass empty people, you can become very annoyed with us, right? Because here's the thing. I think most pessimists would say, well, I'm not really pessimistic. I'm just realistic. You ever heard that? And I think there's some truth to that, you know, because you can't just leave, live your whole life just with your head in the clouds and 
dreaming and imagining and things, but if you never get out and, and actually put, you know, your rubber meets the road and you put the work in and you, and you do the stuff that you're supposed to do, you know, that, that kind of head in the cloud stuff, it doesn't work out very well because it's not what? It's not realistic. So there, there has to be a healthy balance. So yes, I mean, we should be realistic. There's certain, certain things that we just have to say, you know what, this is the way it is right now. We can't change that. We're going to be realistic. But I do believe, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it, I do believe as a believer, a follower of Yeshua, the Messiah, Jesus Christ, that we all probably should be what? We should be optimistic. We should be more on a positive attitude, to carry more of a positive attitude of gratitude than if we were in a pessimistic state of mind. And I think that the reason that is is because pretty much God tells us to do that. He tells us to give thanks in every circumstance. Now, that's, that's a big one, right? And we're going to look at that today. And I think the going to the scriptures, and, and particularly the Psalms. I mean, if you read the Psalms, which we know David was, was the divinely inspired author of many, if not the majority of the Psalms, but there were others. And the Psalms are just these... Again, they were set to music, they were set to worship, and it's just these beautiful expressions of faith and hope and thank, thanksgiving and gratitude, knowing that all of the people who were, who were in divinely inspired to write these psalms down and that they were, they were put into our, the Holy Scriptures and they were shared among the community of believers is that we know that they had difficult times. We know that they had times of struggle and doubt. We know that they had times of pain and suffering. We know that there were dark nights and difficult days and plenty of challenges in life. And yet I think that God gave us these, these precious gifts, these, these book, this book of Psalms, just to remind us that we can always give thanks to the Lord. And I want to I start by just thinking about that very phrase, to give thanks. If, thanks, if thanksgiving or gratitude is something that we give, that means that it is a choice. It is a choice. We can either choose to give thanks to God or we can choose to withhold that. That, that is our what? That's our choice. And I know that that's oversimplifying this thing, but honestly, guys, God's word is not typically that complicated when it gets down to it. Is that at the end of the day, every single one of us has a decision to make. We have a choice to make regardless of where we are in life or what circumstances you're dealing with right now. You have a choice to turn around and give God the, the glory and the thanksgiving and the gratitude that is due him. Or you can choose to withhold that and become skeptical, cynical, bitter, angry, you name it. Because the opposite of gratitude it's going to be bitterness. The opposite of thankfulness is going to be resentment. That's just the way that it works. And so I hope that today's message will be one very simple but very powerful in your life. And I think all of us probably need a little bit of an adjustment um, from time to time. And that's what this, this message is really all about. So if you look at Psalm 100, just a very short and simple psalm. And, and there's so many psalms you could have chosen from or I could have picked today. But I just wanted to pick a simple one. As we work through this today. So let's look at Psalm 100. I'll read the entire Psalm, verse uh, 1 through 5. 
says a psalm for giving thanks. Make a joyful noise to the Lord all the earth. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his presence with singing. Hey, we've already done that today. Amen. Thank God. What a privilege. Know, now this is it. Know, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his. We belong to him. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. So when we give thanks to God, we literally bless him. Think about that. Did y'all know we had the power to bless God? It's an amazing thing when you think about it. And then verse 5. For the Lord is good. His steadfast love endures forever. And his faithfulness throughout all generations. Amen. So what are some things we can give thanks for today? The first thing is very simple. We need to give thanks for the goodness. The goodness of God. I remember the story in the Gospels where the, I think it's the, the rich young ruler, one of the, one of the wealthy men of Israel comes up to Jesus. And you remember the story. He says, good teacher. He says, what must a man do to inherit eternal life? And it's funny because Jesus doesn't immediately answer his question. What does he ask him? He says, why do you call me good? He says, why do you call me good? That's a fascinating question. Because the implication is that really, I know we talk a lot in, in culture and amongst ourselves as that's a good person. And we know what we're talking about. When we say that's a good person, I mean, we're talking about a person not perfect, very flawed, as we all are. But, you know, a good person in our mind is a person that, you know, is an honest person. They treat people with respect. They're humble. They're kind. They're loving. They're considerate. You know, that's what we talk about. These are, these are what we call good people, okay? But in a, in a real standard from which we really can get good and evil, that which is good and bad, there is really only one person, only one who is good. Who is that? It's, it's God. Yeah, Jesus, because see, as Jesus is speaking to this rich young ruler by, by asking him this, why do you call me good? He's basically, in a way, he's subtly implying that, well, I am good because I am who? Because I am God. And so really, there's only one who is truly and purely and perfectly good. When we talk about the goodness of God, guys, this is where it gets down to the nature and the character of God. If we don't believe and we if we cannot trust in the nature and character of God, then our faith is completely worthless. We're we're on we're on shaky ground. If you can't count on God to be good for his, in his nature in his character, then can, we can't really depend upon him for anything else. See, that was one of the differences especially from ancient times is that when you had pagan idolatry, when you had all these other nations surrounding Israel who would worship and serve these other quote-unquote these false gods these fallen entities who who wielded legitimate power over their people but these were not good gods they were capricious 
They might, they might be good for you one day, but the next day they, they, they might be terrible. And so the people were constantly in a state of, of fear and trepidation and anxiety because they didn't know if they had done enough to satisfy the gods. They didn't know if they had given enough to appease the gods. They didn't know if they had, had done enough to, to be in good graces with the gods. And so maybe if they'd just done enough, then the gods would, be, would turn around and, and be good to them, at least, at least for a little while. But there was no guarantee. That's not the God of Scripture. That's not the God of the Bible. The one thing you can always believe and you can always trust and you can always take to the bank is that God is what? All the time. All the time God is good. Do we really believe that? It's really, it's really just what it comes down to. Do you really believe that the God revealed to us in Scripture is good? Now let me say something. That doesn't necessarily mean that God is not dangerous. See, I think sometimes we equate goodness with somebody who is weak or he's a nice person. And there's nothing wrong with being nice either. God, I guess, in a sense, is nice. But he is altogether holy. He is to be feared. Because if we were to, to stand in the presence of Almighty God, we would just simply disintegrate in his presence because of the glory and the power and the holiness of of who he is in his goodness and glory. We, we sometimes forget he is a dangerous God. And that's okay because I need a God to be, to be dangerous. And, and I hope you understand what I'm saying in a sense. Dangerous is that, that he is someone not to be taken lightly. It's not to be, to be taken frivolously. We understand that God is a God of justice. He is the judge of all the earth. That's actually what we're going to look at when we look at... Uh, Genesis chapter 18 and the story of Abraham and Lot and Sodom and Gomorrah and that whole passage is that will the God will the judge of all the earth not do right that's a rhetorical question the answer is yes he will always do that which is what he will always do that which is right and just and good because he is a good God he is a righteous God he is a just God he is a holy God and so that's why he is to be feared. He is to be revered above all because he is our righteous judge. And he alone has the power to stand. Excuse me. He has the power to judge. And, and he is the only one um, by which we must stand and give an account. God is good because he hates evil. And he cannot tolerate sin. God cannot tolerate sin. He will not leave the guilty unpunished. He must punish sin because he is what? He is good. It has been said in the days of Nazi Germany and some of the, the generation coming out of those days, people like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who did so much to, to, to save many of the Jewish people from the, from the murderous uh, campaign of the Nazis and during World War II and all those kind of things. But you have a whole generation who came out of that time and it has been said, and I think it's something that needs to be said today, it says that for the only thing for evil to prosper in this world is for good men to do nothing. That's what I'm talking about. Is that God is against evil. So by definition, in his character, he hates that which is evil, that which, which he has defined as wrong or evil or wicked or ungodly. And he cannot tolerate sin. I think sometimes we forget about that. We forget. We think that because God is good, that means that he just 
he just gets along with everybody and everything's just everything that everybody does is just okay because he, he's just a good he's just the big man upstairs right I mean I, I hear so many people when, they, when you hear somebody talking about God in this way you have a pretty good indication they don't really know who God is right oh me and the big guy upstairs we're, we're good we're okay no you're not he's not the big guy upstairs he's the holy God and creator of the whole universe he's the king of glory He's the savior of the world, the redeemer. He is, he is the judge of all the earth. This isn't just some, some Santa Claus character up in the sky that we can make bargains with. That's not who he is. And so we have to understand that he is a good God. There's a, there's a scripture in 1 Corinthians 13. We know 1 Corinthians 13 is the love passage, right? You hear it preached at weddings all the time. And we like to quote that to people all the time. Love is what? Love is patient and love is kind and this is part of God's nature he is patient and he is kind and and, it, and it's you know it, it doesn't keep record of wrong and all of those things but there's one verse in there I think sometimes we just read over and skip over first Corinthians 13 you know what it says it says love does not rejoice with wrongdoing now many of us in our in in, in the congregation today many of us in maybe watching from home you have people in your family who are doing wrong and you're being told that in order to love them you're supposed to tell them that it's not wrong but it's what it's okay it's good by definition that is not love because if you are having to be told or you're being forced to rejoice with someone else in their wrongdoing whatever that wrongdoing may be that is not love that is compromise God will never rejoice with us in our wrongdoing. He, he has so much better for us. He wants so much better for us. We talk about it all the time in, in, in uh, church culture, and, and I believe it, is that we do preach a gospel. We preach a message for anybody, anywhere, no matter, regardless of what you're going through, what you've been doing, where you've been, how, much, how deep in sin you are, we do preach a gospel that God loves you. He wants to have a relationship with you, and you can come to him just as you are. That is true, but here's the part we often leave out. But he loves you too much, and he's too good to leave you there. Come as you are, amen, with all of your flaws and failures and sins and struggles and doubts and all. Come on, come as you are. There's no... There's no you know prerequisite for you to come to Christ just believe in him come to him but he's gonna love you so much that he's not gonna leave you in that condition of where you are he wants to make you into the person that he wants you to be that he created you to be because he's good and he will not rejoice with us in our wrongdoing and he's patient he's full of grace that's what the that's what the scriptures is talking about the Lord is good his steadfast love endures forever so in in the goodness of God really in this under this umbrella term when we say God is good that's talking about his mercy mercy is that you do not get what you deserve anybody thanking God for his mercy today amen that means his grace you get something that you don't deserve anybody thankful for grace today amen loving kindness and patience anybody thankful that God is a good and patient God anybody need anybody need a little extra patience from God lately I do 
So you, all of these characteristics are kind of bound up in the, the compassion of God and the kindness of God and the mercy and the grace and ultimately what? The love. The love of So the ultimate expression of God's goodness is his love for you and his love for me. And that's, that's the thing about, about God's love that just, I, have a, I still to this day have a very difficult time wrapping my, my mind around. Because our love, and I know we talk about loving our kids and our spouse unconditionally and all that, but, but do, do we really love the people in our life perfectly? We don't. I fall short. We may say it's unconditional, but we, sometimes we put what? We put conditions on it. Let's just be honest. We try, and there are times when we get it right. I know that. I know you do, but only God can perfectly and unconditionally love us in spite of who we are. And again, love us so much that he's not willing to leave us in our sinful, dreadful, lost and hopeless condition, but he wants to make something amazing out of our life. He wants to, he wants to make us into a new creation that we're living our life with the fullness of the purpose and the and the, uh, the very reason for which we were made and saved and redeemed. That's who God is. So he has an everlasting love. Look at what it says. For the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures, how long? Forever. I love, again, back to 1 Corinthians 13. 1 Corinthians 13 says, faith, hope, and love remain, these three. But the greatest of these is what? You ever, ever asked yourself why? very simple that when we finally get to be in the presence of the lord we're going to talk about his presence in just a second but when we finally reach the place where we are in the presence of god whether we die to go be with him or he comes to come back to earth to be with us either way at that very moment guess what we will no longer need any hope hope will be realized we will no longer need any faith did you realize that? When you get to be in, with God in heaven, you will, not have, you will not have any need for what? Faith. Because we will what? We will see. We're called to walk by faith and not by sight. Well, when we're in the presence of the Lord, now we're, we're, we see. Every, we will behold everything as he sees us. We will see him. We will not need hope, and we will not need faith in heaven. But what, we will, what we, will we always have? We will always have love. Because love endures how long? Forever. That is the foundation of our relationship with Jesus Christ. So it's a sacrificial love. And, and God's love, we've talked about this so many times, but I just can't say that it is the most powerful force in the universe. That's what Jesus said. That's what Paul said about, about Jesus, right? He says, if, if God is for us, who can be against us? Nothing in all creation is able to separate us from what? From the love of God. Guys, that is good. That is goodness. So what I want to do, we'll stop right, right now, and I want you to pray. And I just want you to, to thank God for his goodness. In whatever way that comes to your heart and mind, I'm going to leave you with just about 30 seconds. Nice little time for some silence. I just want you to stop and thank God for his goodness, and then I'll pray over us after that. Okay, let's bow our heads and let's pray and thank God for his goodness.
Father, when we look at ourselves, we don't always see good. When we look in the world around us, we often see evil, hatred, hurt, sin. And yet, Lord, when we, when we look to you, we always see a God who is good. And I want to thank you today for your goodness. That no matter what we're going through, no matter what's happening around us, no matter how far we fall, you remain good. And we need you to be good, God. Because we're not. And with your help, we can be more like you. And we want to be more like you. But ultimately, there's no one like you. And we remember that today and we give you thanks for the goodness of God. In Jesus' name, amen. So we give thanks for the goodness of God and we give thanks for the presence of God. I love this psalm right here where it says, Come serve the Lord with gladness. Come into his what? His presence with singing. Come into his presence with singing. Um, there is an interesting dynamic that takes place after the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We cannot deny that. I know God related to his people uh, before the coming and the, and the redemptive work of Jesus. We, we would read about the Holy Spirit coming upon people for different, for different times and different appointed services. And, and God would choose different kings and rulers and priests and prophets. And, and the Holy Spirit would, 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 would come upon them. And I know that many, David even talks about the Spirit of God even being within him. And I know there's this kind of, there's a lot of, a little bit of debate about, you know, the relationship that we had to the Holy Spirit before Jesus and after Jesus. I do think there's a distinction. I do think there was a difference. And the reason I say that is because in the Gospel of John, Jesus is talking to his disciples, talking about that, that spring of living water that will well up within them. And John says, and he was talking of the Holy Spirit whom they were to receive, but they had not been given yet because Jesus had not yet been glorified. And I read that, I've read that several times over the past six months or so, and I look at that, I'm like, okay, so there was something different about this presence of God. So, so put yourself in the shoes of, of the ancient Israelites, right? So you, would, you had these, these permanent places, or the, well, really at first they were temporary places of uh, holy ground, setting up a, a place for God to dwell with his people so that they could experience his what? His presence. And at first we see it in the tabernacle. In the wandering in the wilderness with Moses and the tabernacle. You know that, all that imagery. And then permanently it was built into a temple in, in Jerusalem by King Solomon. And the presence of Lord would come down. But in order to really experience God's presence. And even then it was still on a very limited way. According to, to God, on God's terms. You had to do it just according to he, he instructed you to do it. All of the, the sacrificial system and all the way that you would approach God was very important. You couldn't just come into God's house casually. But, but yet he still wanted to interact and have a relationship with his people. So he, he created these, these temporary shelters or dwellings. For his presence so that God could somehow, excuse me, for his people to somehow experience his presence. And we thank God for that. But then something happened when Jesus was born into the world and, and the angels were announcing the birth of the coming Messiah. And they said, you will name him 
Emmanuel. Emmanuel, which means what? God with us. Something changed. Is that God permanently took on human form and he dwelt among us. He tabernacled with us. And this was a fascinating turn of events, right? So now the God of creation took on human form and walked and lived and dwelt among his people so that that generation that was alive to see Jesus, to be with Jesus, to witness his miracles, to witness his death, burial, and resurrection, resurrection they had a unique privilege of being able to live in the very what? Presence of God. The very presence of God. What a gift. That's why we celebrate the birth of Jesus. God with us. But then he takes it a step further, and Jesus went through all of the pain and the suffering, went to the cross, he was resurrected from the dead, he had reminded his disciples, hey guys, listen to me, it's okay, don't be afraid, I'm not going to leave you alone. He says, I'm going to prepare a place for you, it's good that I go, because I've got to go back to the Father in heaven to sit on my throne at the right hand of the Father, but I'm not going to leave you what? Alone. Because the Father and I, we're sending you who? The Holy Spirit. The Comforter. The Counselor. Your Helper. I mean, this amazing relationship. And he says, and the Holy Spirit will come and dwell where? Within you. It's amazing when you think about it. Is that we, don't, we not only have Jesus walking with us, but he is actually living where? In us. And that relationship changed. With the giving of the Holy Spirit. Guys, I want you to think about the presence of God today. The, the presence that he is, he is with us, that he will never leave us. That's why he will never forsake us. That's why he will be with us always. Always. So that there is nothing that you can do and nowhere that you can go that he is what? Not right there with you. Do we take that for granted sometimes? That we have the very presence of God. That same presence that our, uh, our forefathers in Israel desired to have with God. And they could only get so close. They couldn't even go into the Holy of Holies because it was too powerful. It was too glorious. They, they could only get so close to God. And God says, I'm going I'm to flip the script. And I'm going to take my holiness and my power and my glory. And I'm going to put my spirit where? Inside every single one of my children. Wow. Now that's something. And I think about Psalm 139. Just listen to this. You don't have to turn there, but just listen to the author. This is David, one of my favorite psalms of all time. David, had, he, he understood the, the Holy Spirit. Look at what he says. He says, O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up, you discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O oh Lord, you know it altogether. You hem me in behind and before you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the grave, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light about me is night, even the darkness is not too dark for you. The night is as bright as day, for darkness is as light with you. Where can we go 
to escape God's presence. No way. Even the darkness is as light to him. That means that when we're facing times of darkness, when we're facing times of difficulty, not literal darkness, it could be literal darkness, but we all know what I'm saying. We're talking about difficult times, times of despair, times of sleepless nights, times of worry and stress, times of pain and sickness and suffering in those dark times. The Bible says even in the darkness, he is what? He is light. He is that light. He is that presence with us. I'll put it to you this way. I'm a very simple guy. I I accepted a long time ago, life's tough. It is. It's hard. It it stinks. Sometimes it's just, it's just, it's just terrible. As Charles Barkley would say, terrible. It's just terrible. But it's bad. Sometimes it's just awful, right? I accepted that a long time ago. You know what I, you know what I came to the conclusion? Is that I can go through just about anything there is in life as long as somebody is with me. You know when the hardest times in life is? Is that when trying to go through something alone. Now that's hard. If you've ever tried to handle it or go on it on your own, trying to do it alone, whether that's your own choosing or not, some, some of us are hard-headed. I can be that way too. I got this. I can handle this. I don't, I don't, I don't need any help. I'm good. Or, or the famous church words that we say to ourselves every single Sunday, how you doing? I'm what? I'm fine. No, you're not. You're probably not fine. I hope you are, but you're probably not. But we just, that's what we're supposed to say, right? We can't do this alone. And even if every single person in our life that we loved was removed from us and we were forced to do something or go through a situation or circumstance, quote unquote, alone, we're still not truly what? Still not alone. Because of his presence, the promise of his Holy Spirit. What an amazing promise. So the presence of God progressively has become more personal, more intimate in the fact that Jesus himself came and dwelt among us. He took on human flesh. Then he sent the Holy Spirit to indwell every heart of every soul of every believer so that we can have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. So personal and so intimate that there's nowhere we can go that he is not right there with us. And then there will be a day when Jesus is going to what? He's going to come back. And that, and that whatever separation, there, there is still some separation, obviously, that we have with God. Like, we're still not completely brought to back together with him yet. That is a promise. That's another promise that there will come a day when Jesus will return. The, the kingdom of heaven will be brought to this earth. He will be ruling and reigning from this earth. We will be his people. He will be our God. And that will be his dwelling place here on this earth for how long? Forever and ever. Oh, what a glorious day that will be. But this is what we're talking about when we talk about God's presence. And guys, if you're a believer in the house today, if you don't feel God's presence, and some of you may be sitting there and you're like, man, I'm not feeling God. I haven't been feeling God lately. He seems so distant from me. Let me tell you a little secret. He didn't move. That's a 100% guarantee. God doesn't move. He's a rock. He's a refuge. He's our helper. Ever present. Nowhere you can go to escape his presence. He's the same yesterday, today, forever. 
So if you don't feel God's presence, if you're feeling distant from God today, you need to probably just take a minute. And that's what we're going to do right now. We're just going to stop and pray. We're going to say, okay, Lord, I value your presence. I'm thankful for your presence. I believe your Holy Spirit. I'm one of your children. You dwell in me. You live in me. But if you feel distant from God this morning, just take a minute and say, okay, God, I know you never moved. I know you haven't gone anywhere. So I must have moved. I must have drifted away from you. And I feel distant from you right now. So, Lord, whatever that is that is separating me and you, whatever sin, whatever it is, Lord, reveal that to me. Show it to me so that I can confess it, so that I can correct it. Because I don't want to be distant. I don't want to be far away from you. I want to be what? I want to be near. I want to be close to you, Lord. Father, I want to feel your presence again. So let's take a minute right now. We're going to stop and pray. Give thanks to God for his personal presence. Let's bow our heads. Surely, Lord, the presence of the Holy Spirit is in this place. We know that you are here, Lord. That you never leave us. You dwell within us. You live inside. So that everywhere that we go, you're there with us, Lord. That is both a great comfort and a very sobering reality. Because the reality, Father, is that because we are one with you, everything we do, we bring you along with us. Even the sin that we participate in, even the, even the bad things that we allow into our life, we're, we're bringing you into that. That's not good. We should live our lives in a way very conscious, very sensitive to your presence. The way that we think and talk and act and the things we do and choose, the decisions that we make, Lord, they all involve you. Lead us to do that which is good and right. But Lord, at the same time, we are comforted. We are comforted in knowing that even if everybody else in this world abandoned us, you would never leave us. We can always depend upon you being there, faithfully being there for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. So we, we give thanks for the goodness of God. We give thanks for the presence of God. And I want to give thanks for the provision of God. Look at what it says in verse 3. Know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Did you know that at least in the American modern culture, we live in the wealthiest, most materialistic culture that maybe, possibly, could have ever graced the face of this earth. 
Now, I know in the days of Solomon, when gold and silver were so abundant that, you know, bronze and silver were like pennies in the street. I mean, there was just the wealth of that nation was unparalleled to anything else that we probably have ever seen. But let's just be honest, even in modern comparison to the ancient times and modern day, I mean, we have so many more comforts and privileges and blessings and material provisions in uh, in this country, especially than any other nation in the world, probably in any other nation ever in history. And yet, I would dare say that the generation that has been living in the, in the United States of America for the last 50 to 100 years, and especially the generation that's coming up today, is the most ungrateful and discontent. How does that happen? How does that happen? How, do, how can we have so much and yet have such little gratitude for God? It's the way of the world, right? It happens to so many people. It happens to so many communities. It happens to so many kingdoms. You struggle. You're, you, you have a, a time of uh, victory or whatever it may be. American Revolution, you know, uh, we start a new nation. Uh, we go through some tough times, civil war, and then, man, we hit the, the Industrial Revolution. Well, that was after the Industrial Revolution, but then we start kind of coming up into this wealth, and the American dream was born, and, man, we're just we're, we're ripping and rolling, and people are starting to make money and having ex extra money to extra cars and extra televisions and extra houses and a little extra everything, and we got food in our abundance. I mean, it's just, it's just everything that we could ever possibly imagine in this culture air conditioning, heating, hot water, plumbing, you name it, right? And then you throw in now with the technology and everything that technology does for us is making us so much dumber because now we're relying on technology just to do everything for us and it's more convenient, right? I mean, you can just go on and on and on. And yet, we have so much and yet people are so discontent, depressed, anxious, unsatisfied, ungrateful. That's what happens when we take our eyes from the gift, off the, off the giver, and put it on the gift. Because all these good things that we have, they are ultimately gifts from who? From God. All good gifts come from God, okay? But when we begin to appreciate and love and want the gift more than we want the giver, that's when our priorities change and that's when our focus changes and that's when we put our eyes on the wrong things and that's when we start to suffer from discontent, ungratefulness, and anxiety in all of the problems that we see in our culture today. Taking our, off, our eyes off the provider. God is our provider. Notice how the psalmist says, we are his. We are his. He made us. We belong to God. You see, that whole picture of being adopted into the family of God is that the minute that we, any of you today, when you trusted in Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit came and gave brief new life into you and you became a new creation in Christ, you were adopted at that moment and you received a new name and you were brought into a new family and you have a new heavenly father you're his child he's your father what a beautiful picture and he is a what kind of a father a good good father remember it's goodness 
So any good father wants to give good gifts to his children. That's so basic, right? So God wants to give us every good gift. And he is a giving God. And it's then also this perspective of him being our shepherd. So on one hand, he is our shepherd. And as we are his sheep, you know, the analogies run so uh, just uh, completely through all of scripture about the shepherd and the sheep. And we're going to talk a little bit about that in just a second on, on a couple of verses. But he is also our king. So his, him being our shepherd means that he is in the midst of us. He, he's, he's, he's out there with us, right? A shepherd smelled like the what? The shepherd knew the names of the sheep. The shepherd knew everything about the sheep because he was in the midst of them. A king would never be found herding a shepherd, uh, a flock of sheep or whatever. But he is both our shepherd and our what? And our king, which makes him so um, amazing because he not only is there to be in the midst of us, to know us by name, to give us everything that we need to take care of us in the humility of Christ as our shepherd, but he is also king, which means that he owns what? Everything. And he wants to give us every good gift. And, he, and we are his children. And he wants to pass on all of his inheritance to us. This is the beautiful picture that we see in the scripture. Give thanks for the provision of God. Look at Psalm 23. Y'all know it well. If you want to flip over there real quick. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And we just read right past it, right? I shall not want. What does that mean? It means that all my needs are met. Let me ask you a question today. Are all your needs met? I didn't say want. I said what? needs all our needs are met I shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures means he feed me he leads me beside the still waters make sure I have water to drink he restores my soul he leads me down the path of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death I will fear no evil for you are what with me there's his presence your rod and your staff they comfort me I could go on and so when we think about God's provision, guys, Jesus broke it down in the Lord's Prayer. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, I don't know if any of us have ever been to the point of starvation in this room. If any of us have ever been to the point where we literally did not know where our next meal was coming from. I would say probably not. I could be wrong. But at the end of the day, when we trust God's provision and we are thankful for God's provision, I do think we need to make sure we draw a, a, a clear line of the distinction between the things that we want and the things that we what? Need. There is a difference. Is God against you having nice things? No, he's not. Is God against you pursuing the love of money? Yes, he is. Is God against you having uh, a good savings plan and, and a good financial plan for the future? No, he's not. Is God against you trusting in those things? Yes, he is. Because, again, if we start trusting in the gifts and not the giver, then that's when our whole world can come tumbling down. I mean, what about this uh, Bitcoin thing just a few weeks ago? You're keeping up with it in the, in the news. This guy, this Bitcoin company lost $22 billion in one day like that. One day you're a 20, you have $22 billion in the, in the bank, and the next day you got what? Nothing. 
That's how fast our treasure, our money can change. Just like that. So it comes down to us understanding that God will take care of us. He will give us everything that we need. Not just physically, not just emotionally, mentally, financially, but most of all, what is God? He gives us our spiritual needs. He gives us what we need spiritually, which leads me to the last thing, and that's our, the faithfulness of God. The faithfulness of God. The goodness of God, the presence of God, the provision of God, and then honestly when we want to just kind of wrap this whole thing up, this whole message, and just, and just look at it from, from God's perspective, is that he is forever a faithful God. Faithful. What does that mean? It means that he is forever true. And he is forever trustworthy. And that he always keeps his promises. This is our God. Let me say that again. He is forever trustworthy. You can always count on him to deliver. To do what he says. And to keep his promises. That is who our God is. He is a faithful God. Look at what it says in verse 5. For the Lord is good, his steadfast love endures forever, and his faithfulness throughout all generations. You know, we were talking in our small group this morning about God's promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the children of Israel, the house of Judah, all of these things. And we were talking about it, and it was just one of those little simple, you know, uh, moments where we, we all just like, we understand what, what's happening here. It's like God did not keep his promises to his people because they were righteous. Because they, they did everything right, because they were perfect and, and always had it going on and always were in, in perfect relationship with God. That's not why God kept his promises. Because his people overwhelmingly blew it, just like we blow it, and they did that historically and perpetually. So how was it that God kept his promises? He kept his promises to his people because he had given his what? His word. It's as simple as that. If God gives his word, he will follow through and will fulfill what he has promised to do. It's as simple as that. So let's consider some of the promises of God. God promises to forgive us if we confess our sins. He promises to adopt us into his family when we trust in Jesus. He promises the presence of the Holy Spirit as we've talked about today. Our helper, our comforter, our counselor. He's promised to give peace that transcends all understanding when we, when we acknowledge him and trust in him. And that we're not to worry about all these things going on in life because he is there with us. He's promised to give us eternal life and a, and a place in the kingdom of heaven to inherit the kingdom of heaven with all of God's people. He's made all of these promises to provide for us, to be a good God, and that his presence will always be there with us. As I finish this message, I want you to flip with me real quick to, to 2 Timothy. Look at 2 Timothy real quick, and it's just one of those reminders that, that we get from the Apostle Paul. 2 Timothy chapter 2. Look at what Paul says, 2 Timothy 2, I'm going to begin in verse 8. First he says, remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, 
the offspring of David, preached in my gospel. Let me tell you, one of the critical steps in having an attitude of gratitude and giving thanks is that we need to remember. We have short-term memories. I mean, I can't even remember what I did yesterday. I can't. I'd have to think about it for a minute. We have, we have problems with retaining and remembering, and that's why God tells us to go and, and get in his word and, and study his word and, and feed on his word. How much? How much should we do that? Every single day, right? Do not be conformed to the uh, patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How, how much are our are, are, are minds needed to be renewed? Every single day, we remember, remember Jesus Christ. Remember the goodness of God. We remember the presence of God. We remember the provision of God. We remember the faithfulness of God. That's the first step in being thankful. He says, remember Jesus Christ, verse 9, for which I'm suffering, bound with chains as a criminal. Paul, is he having a difficult time here? Pretty tough time. He's in prison. He's bound with chains. He's about to go to his death. Is he in despair? Is he woe is me? No, he's not. Look at what he's saying. But the word of God is not bound. Even up to the very end, he sees his, his opportunity in prison as an opportunity to share the gospel. He's finishing well, right? He's, he's finishing strong. Verse 10, therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. And the saying is trustworthy. Look at verse 11, 12, and 13. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. That's strong. If we are faithful to him, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. I'm going to read that one more time. If we are faithful, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. Has anybody in the house been faithless before? I thank God that he has not completely given up on me. I thank God that he is going to keep his promises and follow through on his word and do everything that he has said he would do for me as one of his children, even when I don't act like one. Even when I don't have my trust where it's supposed to be. Even when I drift off away and I feel distant from God. He will never deny himself. He will always remain faithful because that is who he is. Give thanks for the faithfulness of God. At the end of the day, guys, he's the only one that we can really trust and rely on. What's the, what's the old saying? The only constant in life is, is change. You ever heard that? Well, that may be true circumstantially, but the real truth is the only constant in life is God. Because you can always go to him and you're going to get the same thing over and over and over again because that's just who he is. He's a good God. He's our provider. He's our helper, our ever-present helper. And he will always be faithful to the end. And for that, we should give what? Let us.
worship this morning. So I'm going to ask our praise team to come up as we sing one more song, and I'm going to pray for us. So we're going to close this out in thanking God for his provision and for his faithfulness. For his provision and his faithfulness. As you go, here's what I want you to do, guys. You may want to do it today. You may want to do it as you sit and, and during this song. I think it's a good exercise for any and every one of us. From time to time, simply stop and count your count your blessings. For all the half-glass empty people in the room, the pessimists out there, maybe you need to stop and start counting your blessings and, and be thankful you even have a glass. And that you got something in it. Because no matter what, you can always find somebody better off than you, but you can always find somebody worse off than you as well. And so we stop and count our blessings, and we continue to serve God. This is the key. That even those times get tough, and we may be distant, and we may be struggling, we don't stop serving God. Okay? And then we do that with a grateful heart, because He is good, and His love endures. How long? forever. Let's stop and pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your provision in our life, Lord. In all our days, we will never see the righteous begging for bread. Father, we know that you take care of your children. You give us every good and perfect gift from above, Lord, and you will not let leave any one of us, Lord, abandoned or alone. We can trust in you, Lord, to provide everything that we need. And Lord, you're so good, you even give us many things that we want. But ultimately, Lord, help us not put our faith in the gifts, but always keep our hope in the giver. And we do recognize today that we give thanks for your faithfulness, O oh God. So that ultimately, none of this really depends upon our ability to be righteous, or our ability to stay faithful, or our ability to obey you, or whatever it may be. Even though we want to do those things, and we strive to do those things, God, but that when we fail, and we will, and when we struggle... When we feel far away, we're reminded today and we thank you, God, that you are forever faithful and that you will follow through and you will deliver on your promises. Thank you, Lord Jesus. It's in your holy and precious name that I pray and all God's people said, amen.